Welcome to this month's episode of Pull Up a Chair, an original podcast series produced by CFA Society Boston. I'm board chair Sarah Samuels, and I'm here today with Devon Drew, founder and chief executive officer of DFD Partners, which aims to become the Netflix of fund distribution and raise $1 trillion in diverse owned investment strategies by 2030. Devon talks about his successful 16-year career in the investment business, his experience as an entrepreneur, the value of running your own race, and advice for wealth managers in successfully serving the next generation of clients. Welcome to the podcast, Devon. Devon, you've got a tremendous career. You decided to leave your day job as a senior executive at the world's largest provider of mutual funds to become an entrepreneur, founding DFT Partners, with the goal of raising $1 trillion by 2030. That takes some bravery. We're going to hear more about that later. But to kick off our discussion, what was a foundational childhood experience that formed who you are today? When I think about my childhood, I think about how blessed I was. I was born and raised by a single mother in an inner city of New Jersey called Newark. It wasn't the greatest place to grow up from a crime perspective, but my mother did a tremendous job of instilling a work ethic. When you're horse racing, you have your blinders on, right? And, you're, and you stay very focused on the task. So even though around the neighborhood, there was a lot of crime, a lot of drug use going on. We remained steadfast in what we wanted to do and accomplish. My foundational, when I think about like the foundation that I was brought up on is run your race, right? No matter what's going on. And I, that's my mother. That's fantastic, Devon. What a great story. And I think it's going to weave into a lot of the career twists and turns that you've taken. So if you could maybe tell us about your career progression from equity sales to Merrill Wealth Management to JP Morgan to American Century to Vanguard. Yeah, it actually sounds like more companies than I've worked for. But yeah, I started in equity sales. Coming out of college, I wanted to go the traditional investment banking route. Unfortunately, that didn't work out. So I was just like, how can I work on Wall Street? It's always a dream of mine, being from Jersey, right in the backyard of, of the financial capital of the world. And got into equity sales with a company called West Rock Advisors, where we were reaching out to different institutions and trying to have them trade with us in different equity ideas. That was a tremendous experience because it allowed me to be fearless in cold calling, very sophisticated people to try to get as clients. After that, I transitioned to Merrill Lynch on the wealth management side. So no longer on the quasi-institutional side, more on the wealth management side, as I felt it was more was more aligned with my skill set. I had a tremendous experience at, at Merrill Lynch dealing with high net worth individuals and athletes as, as a former college athlete myself. And the beautiful thing looking back at it is I went through 2008 and while the rest of the street was in turmoil, I was so new in the business where I didn't know any better. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. We ended up getting bought out by Bank of America in I believe in 2009 and that kind of shaped my next move because you saw a lot of changes happening and you you didn't you weren't really sure what was going on and then I got into the purely on the asset management distribution side I was recruited from Merrill Lynch to go to a organization called JP Morgan Asset Management JP Morgan has the name however at the time you're talking back in 2010 they were a startup on the funds management side right so you have this big behemoth multi-trillion dollar business with a startup mentality, 
with funds management. So it was a tremendous opportunity to go and grow with an organization like JP Morgan at the associate level. Had a tremendous amount of opportunity. I would say like my most fierce training experience was with JP Morgan. And you could see from a ground level up why they're so successful. I was fortunate to get recruited away from JP Morgan for a vice president role at Fred Alger Management, where within the portfolio management team, it was like a quasi-client portfolio management role where where I was responsible for our subset of equity funds and being able to be that relationship manager to the end client, which in this case was financial advisors, wealth managers, registered investment advisors, multifamily offices. And that job and that level is where I spent the bulk of my career at um, when I was at Alger, when I was at American Century, and then when I went on to Vanguard. Um, when I was at Vanguard, I was a senior executive, and I had coverage on Merrill, on Morgan, on UBS, on Wells Fargo, on LPL, and Raymond James. So all of that spanned over, I would say, around 16 years and was just very fortunate to work for over $12 trillion worth of asset and wealth managers. That's amazing. It's a great career. I want to go back to how you came into this industry. You mentioned that you were an athlete, a three-sport athlete, and you played football in college. Tell us about how you decided to go into finance and what were your peers doing and how did you get inspired? Oh, yeah. It was like when you think about, I, I played football in college, right? And I would say majority of my teammates and myself included, at least originally, had aspirations going to the NFL. So when you start talking about what do you need to do to go to NFL, prepping for the NFL and like really dedicating your life to that craft. So during the summer times, folks were at jobs on campus so that they could work a few hours and then go work out and work out and practice. Me, on the other hand, I actually went the other route where I was interning during the summer and during the winter, knowing that I wanted to get into, I was a, a business management major, right? So Actually, randomly, my first internship was enterprise rental car, and it was probably the hardest job I ever had. But then my internships after that was with New York Life Investments. So that allowed me to at least get a foray into into industry. On the collegiate side, my network, everyone played football. However, I had friends from back home that were working in investment banking, and you start seeing the life that they're living and you're like, hey man, I, it's a grind, but it looks like it's paying off. So how can I work on Wall Street? How can I get into finance? So despite everyone around me on my teammates wanting to go in the NFL, I was looking ahead of the curve because there's what, 1,500 people in the NFL and you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm decent. That's probably not going to be my future. I started playing from, I would say from sophomore year on to seeing how I could take my skill set and, and apply that to a job in finance. And I was very fortunate where I had a few folks that were working at Goldman and, and Merrill and some of the larger banks that were mentoring me and, and steps I need to take and how I need to prepare to try to work on Wall Street and was very fortunate that I took that step and took that path. So it sounds like you had some great role models, which are really important for helping people to see what they could be. Tell us a little bit about the role models that you had during your career and if perhaps lack of role models and what you're doing about that today. Yeah. So I'm an African-American male. I feel like when I got into Wall Street at that time, anyway, you start thinking 16, 17 years ago, at this point, 18 years ago, 
you start thinking, who are my allies? And you start thinking of other, let's say, African-Americans in this space, which I realized early on is that there's a, hey, I'm just happy to be here. Because a lot of times folks within my network were one of one. So they're the only African-American at the organization and they didn't feel comfortable at that time kind of raising their hand and say, hey, I want to be a former mentor to Devon or I want to stick my neck out, so to speak. So there definitely was a lack of role models that looked like me. was very fortunate that there was a small few that still to this day I could call and reach out to. But you start thinking about early on, it, it was tough sledding to get unbiased advice, right? Because there was always that hey, this person could try to go get my job and hey, I just got here. I'm trying to get promoted. I want to be head down, which for no fault of anyone's, right? There's always been a lack of representation. Not to say that whether it's a, a male role model or female mentor, whatever the case is, there is plenty of those. But as far as being able to look out in the marketplace and see people that looked like you and, and that were going in the same direction, that, those are few and far between. So when I had the opportunity to get in more senior positions when I was with America Century and, and with Vanguard, I was in the position where, hey, I could actually make a change now, right? So with American Century, I was on the DEI board and worked with different organizations across the industry to help bridge the diversity gap, the gender and ethnicity diversity gap within asset management. When I was at Vanguard, I was fortunate to be one of the founding members of the Howard Internship Program where we've hand-selected interns. And by the way, these kids nowadays are so much smarter than I know I was growing up in fiercely competitive space. But being able to really allow others the opportunities that folks like myself didn't have at scale. And it was very blessed to be able to do that. Now at my own organization, of course, I have my finger on the pulse and have the ability to bring talented folks on no matter what the background is. Can you give some pieces of advice to our audience. And our audience is not only the 6,000 plus members in the CFA Boston Society, so investment professionals in the Boston area, but also anyone else in the industry and beyond who is listening to this podcast. When I start thinking about just from an advice perspective, and I, and I think about the things I did right and the things I did wrong within my career, there is a sense where patience matters right? Where the road to 10 doesn't go from one to 10, right? It, there's a lot of steps. There's two through nine before that. My, my advice is obviously people within the CFA society wanted to further the career. And, and, and fortunately, I'm, I'm a SEMA holder. So it's like we call it a CFA light. But my advice would be patience pays off and time in your seat pays off. And it's easy to, to try to jump around. And I've jumped around from a few different places. But there's nothing like brand equity within an organization. So once you get that seat that you want and you're building that brand equity, obviously stay humble, stay hungry, but utilize that seat, continue to build that brand equity because then you could actually empower others once you have that brand equity. Excellent. Okay, let's shift gears to what you're doing today. You are leading a pretty big shift in your career to do something big. And would love to hear a little bit about what DFD Partners is and what caused you to want to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, so I think I'll start with the with the question of why. And you start thinking and you start approaching once again, once I got to like my sixteenth year in a career, i I was deemed moderately successful, but I wasn't affecting any change in the industry. And I've been on the record as saying in, in 16 years, I have not gotten one person that looks like me hired in this industry. 
that's something that means a lot to me. I was fortunate enough to get some in folks in the internship, but nobody in 16 years, and I've submitted a lot of resumes, right? So right around the time of George Floyd, you really get frustrated where things were and like, what is going to be my why, right? What difference can I make? And when you start looking at our industry and you start looking at who's managing this money, There's, it's an $85 trillion industry. And shoot, if you're looking at the demographics and you start looking at, wow, only at the time, it was like 1.1% of all globally managed AUM was managed by diverse managers. And when you say diverse, it's women and people of color, right? And so no wonder the representation as you go down, you just don't see it. So how can we affect that 1.1 number? And now actually that number is actually at 1.4% of all globally managed AUM. But you start thinking about like why that number is and you start looking at fund discovery and you start looking at fund distribution because there's no difference in performance, whether you're black, white, male, female, green, doesn't matter, right? There's, there's no difference in performance. And actually women outperform men over time. But women and people of color have a 10 times harder time raising capital to be able to, to manage it. So that's what I wanted to attack, right? Like how could we allow the investment management, asset management industry, the opportunity to not only showcase, but have these managers discovered and then help on the distribution side? Because that is the difference between a multi-trillion dollar manager and a $100 million emerging manager, right? It's not the performance, it's the distribution. And that's why I founded DFD Partners, which stands for Diligence Fund Distributors. Uh, we started as a tech-enabled, data-driven distribution services company. And now we've introduced an AI-powered tech platform. And when you start looking at the tech platform and what at the crux of what we're doing, it's really connecting asset managers to the private wealth communities, registered investment advisors, financial advisors, private banks, multifamily offices, to really streamline that traditionally friction-filled process of fund discovery and fund distribution. And if we're able to do that at scale, and if we're able to meet the market where it is now and introduce technology, introducing one, one of the, the buzzwords that we say is we want to be the Netflix of our industry, right? We want to be the Netflix of distribution that is based off of technology, that's based off of preferences, based off parameters, based off of past data, based off of using AI to determine future data, right? And future flows. And if we could do that, then we're able to showcase not only the managers of diverse backgrounds, but all managers and really match them and allow them to be sought after from these wealth managers that are looking for these to fill for their end clients. So if we can match a product fit with a product need, we could drastically reduce the sales cycle reduce the client acquisition costs, and allow these managers not to have to add to expensive headcount. So we're able to provide them tech-enabled, cost-effective scale. Give us an example of a client of yours, meaning the private wealth manager, and or a, an investment manager on the platform and a success story. Yeah, absolutely. So right now we have, we're on like Charles Schwab, right? So all the 13,000 Charles Schwab advisors can utilize us. A, a more specific example is an advisor from JP Morgan. An advisor from JP Morgan worked with our platform and was able to identify managers that hit their clients' needs. And when you start thinking about, there is an advisor in North Carolina that was actually looking for and mind you, like we're agnostic on vehicles and managers, right? But you start thinking about like some of these 
more niche your asset classes and managers and you start seeing these searches come up. And we had a North Carolina-based registered investment advisor that came to our platform because for the life of him, they, he couldn't put together a portfolio of diverse managers for his client. And he had to settle for a Google search and Google popped out BlackRock. So he was, I wasn't able to hit my client's needs because I wasn't able to source these efficiently. So he was able to come to the platform sourced by ethnicity, by gender, by generation, and they'll put together a model portfolio based off of the managers we had. Another example is on the LGBT plus side. We have a manager by the name of Adesina, which is a $200 million impact-based social justice ETF that is African-American and Latin-owned and LGBTQ. So we had an, a wealth manager come to the platform because that's who they market to. They're in clients fit that demographic. However, if they were trying to find an investment solution to be able to fit that, it'd be tough sledding, right? So they would come to the platform and search by sexual orientation and, and they're able to find Adesina. And, and once again, it's 200 million bucks, right? So it's not like it's hitting all these screens for a billion plus. And those are just a few, to, few of the use cases, right? So we're very fortunate to now have over 7,500 wealth managers that have opted in to the platform. And now what we're doing is we're transitioning them to our version two of our tech platform. And we want to affect change at scale, right? And once again, it's and it's not just diverse managers or it's not just the prototypical managers that get 90% of the flows. We want to be able to solve the distribution problem at scale, right? And the way you do that in this type of environment is to enable tech by the use of preferences and parameters and being able to identify a fun need before you know it. So being able to leverage our technology and our AI to aggregate data across software systems and platforms to be able to create an affinity score based off of a potential future fund need. So when you start thinking about like the future fund recommendations and that's going to allow, if you're doing any type of research, that's going to allow you to do your job a lot easier and more efficiently and my vision be to pave way for a lot of managers that have been underrepresented over time, which is why we came out with our big initiative last year, which is bridging the investment gap, which was industry-wide being able to raise a trillion dollars in, in diverse manager or AUM. And I remember when we came out with that, I said, hey, a trillion dollars is big. And a trillion, even with the trillion dollars, diverse managers still would not even represent 3% of all global managed AUM. So you got to take it in context and it's industry-wide. And I know on the institutional side, there's mandates, there's diverse managers, portfolios within portfolios, but I will always feel like it, what happens on the institutional side, retail follows. So you're starting to see that, you're starting to see that on the wealth manager side. And I think that trend continues as the face, the background and the profile of wealth continues to evolve and change and inherit this global wealth transfer. What is your call to action to advisors? Why should advisors open their aperture? Yeah, so it's really a business risk, right? If advisors are not taking the time to look outside of the of the top five managers that they've come to just use over the past four decades, right? It's a business risk, right? Because clients are changing, clients' needs are changing. You have $84 trillion of wealth that is being inherited by millennials and Gen Zs. And there is a fantastic chance that they want something different inside their portfolios. For example, if you look at the latest Charles Schwab study, 21 to 42-year-old demographic, 
their fifth largest holding was GBTC, right? Which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Series Trust, right? So when you start thinking about the now the next generation of their clients, of the advisor's clients, that is changing so rapidly that it is in your best interest to think outside the box when developing a portfolio and when you're looking to acquire clients. And then you start looking at, well, what's next from the tech side? Over 90% of advisors surveyed said they're, they're looking for a new tech solution. And when you start looking at the new tech solutions that are coming out, if you're going to choose a new tech solution, you, you need one that could actually help you grow your business. So once again, the call to action would be come check us out. So we just rebranded. So DFD Partners is now AssetLink. So going to app.assetlink.ai and being able to grow your business at scale in a tech-enabled, data-driven way. You have a lot of experience as an investor, but you're running and you've created a fintech platform. How did you do that? How did you address the technology side of this as an entrepreneur? Oh man, a lot of expensive mistakes. <laughs> There's a lot of expensive mistakes, right? I am, I'm a subject matter expert in my industry, but I'm not a tech background. I'm not an engineer. I was very fortunate to, to find my partner, Sirfield Thomas, who built platforms at the highest level at Spotify and was integral in building out the Venmo platform with PayPal, right? Having that experience and me being a subject matter expert on my side and him as a CTO being a subject matter on his side, that allowed me to take a breath, be free and clear, give him my vision, take feedback from users and really build a world-class, innovative fintech platform. Do you have venture backing? So we actually just closed our seed round. So we're very fortunate and blessed to be able to say that we closed a $3.2 million seed round that was backed by a family office. It was also backed by wealth management firms like Ritholtz Wealth Management and GWA Wealth and, and SRV Ventures. So that's going to allow us to further build out this Netflix of investment distribution and then next year we'll go out, God willing, and raise a, a Series A so we can really get this thing up at scale. All right. So we'll close with a personal question. Can you tell us about one time in your life when you were brave and how it changed the path of your life? Yeah. So the, the biggest thing is what I've done over the past two years, right? So when you start talking about bravery, when you start approaching, let's say, your 40s and you have a certain lifestyle and you're used to making a certain amount of money and you have a very well-paying, good job with a great career, great brand equity, and you leave all of that behind and you bet on yourself and there's no parachute, right? There's no net at the bottom, right? You're jumping in both feet in and you don't know what the future holds. This has been a very difficult time in the markets, you have treasury yields that are high, you have less money being put to work, which means less of an allocation for our clients. And if you're an advisor, you have your clients say, hey, I'll just stay in cash and ride this out. So you just never know what the future may hold. So betting on myself and being able to take out my personal wealth to start this thing and being left saying, hey, this, is, this has to be a success. There's no other options. That is by far my bravest moments, even looking back into getting in football or basketball or track, whatever the case is, or this by far is my bravest moment. Thank you so much, Devon. You are an inspiration and a role model, and we can't wait to see where you take DFT partners. Thank you so much, and we appreciate the time. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Pull Up a Chair. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with fascinating industry leaders. 
Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For more information on CFA Society Boston, visit us online at cfaboston.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.